0: The scripture to go along with this morning's lesson will be 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 22. If you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible, that can be found on page 1020. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 17 through 22. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you.
1: Good morning. It is good to see each of you. Again, if you're a guest, we welcome you. It really does encourage us that you're here and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. I appreciate the prayer that has already been offered in all of you that have been praying about the We Are The Sermon Day. It's a wonderful and can be a very powerful day to say to the community that we love you. And that is the second greatest commandment. And if anybody is to be a good neighbor in the neighborhood, the Lord's Church ought to be the best neighbor in the neighborhood. And this is one simple way that we try to do this. You may know or you may not know, but we have two deacons that they stay in a close relationship every week, if not every week, every other week, with about six or eight elementary schools in this area where they constantly make phone calls to say, is there anybody we can help? And we help children in our schools in need on a regular basis. We help teachers in need on a regular basis. But because of that wonderful relationship that's been established, now for we are the sermon day, there are many things that they have asked and said, can you help us with this? And so your classes will be talking about some of those, but but if your class is doing something and, and maybe you think, I wish I could do something that's more roll up my sleeves and get a little more dirty, please let us know because we're gonna have actually more requests than what we have, uh, the available workers, just the way it's divided out right now. And so please know that and, and we could put together There are a few other teams uh, that that could just do a lot of good. So please know if what your class is doing is something you want to jump in the middle of, that's what we want you to do. If what your class is doing is something where you say, I'd really rather paint or I'd rather do something of that nature, there's a lot of those works that we've been asked to participate in. A huge thanks and glory be to God for your generous gift for the Bibles, for the Tanzania mission trip that will take place in about a week and a half. We will be able to purchase all the Bibles that we discussed plus probably at least another hundred more and we will even have enough then to use some of the extra money that you gave uh, to use directly in teaching that's that's what we will try to do with that money we think we will probably be able to pay the expenses for some preachers in the area uh, to stay another week longer and we'll be able to provide their meals and et cetera and they 'll be able to continue follow up in what we start there so to speak and so we're thankful for your generous gift to that And uh, it's good to be in a congregation that wants people to know God and realize the significance of his holy word and being able to truly know who God is. Admiral Hyman Rickover was the head of the U.S. Nuclear Navy for a lot of years. His critics and his supporters knew that he was a very stern and disciplined man. For a long period of time, he had a standing order that any Navy officer that served on his submarines would be interviewed by him personally. One of the young Naval officers that he interviewed many years ago was named Jimmy Carter, later President Jimmy Carter. Jimmy tells about the experience of going in and setting in a room to be interviewed by him. It took two hours. It was a large room. And the admiral and the president were the only two in the room, but this was back before he was president. It was very intimidating. Admiral never smiled once. And near the beginning of the interview, he said, choose some topics. We'll talk about whatever you wanna talk about. So President Carter thought to himself, what are things I know a lot about? And he mentioned music and literature and naval tactics and other things like that that he thought he was well-informed. And the Admiral would begin a series of questions and each one would get progressively harder until he realized he didn't know much about the topic. When he felt like everything was a complete failure, there was one question that he asked toward the end that he thought maybe was redeeming. He asked him, how did you rank in your class at the Naval Academy? Carter set up a little straighter and he said 59th out of a class of 820, sir, expecting a nod or a smile or maybe even a congratulations. But instead he received a stern look that followed with the question, did you do your best? His first and immediate response was almost yes, sir. But then he remembered who he was talking to. And he did think, you know, I could have spent a little more time studying the enemy or the allies or tactics or strategy or weapons. And after a pause with a disappointing tone, he replied, no, sir, I did not do my best. The Admiral spun around in his chair signifying that the interview was over. And just as Carter was about to stand up, he was asked one more question that he said, I'll never forget it. And I've never been able to answer it. And the question was, why not? Today, I do not suggest that this room is full of people that would like his tactics. I do not suggest that as we study the Lord's Supper, that the Lord's Supper is to be deduced to this idea of you're just approaching an event just to do your best. But I do want us to think, what would God say on the matter of his Lord's Supper? what would he say about the way we approach this table to have fellowship with him and with all those that join in maybe you've already seen in the bulletin the title of the lesson this morning is for better or for worse it's kind of a play on words because if you didn't know the theme that we're having this month of memorials, you might very well think, well, this is a lesson on marriage, but it's not. It's taking literally the words of Holy scripture where he speaks about individuals coming together, what ought to have been for better, but instead they left for worse. And the very thing that they were doing so wrong that left them in such a bad situation was the way they were taking the Lord's supper. They literally were leaving as worse people than when they came. Last week, we talked about the fact that it is a memorial. We looked at Luke, the 22nd chapter. We talked about how in America, there are some of the most famous memorials. Isn't it interesting that we as Americans forget? We as human beings forget. We need to be reminded as Americans, some things that are very significant to the history of our country. We need to be reminded as children of God, as created beings of the Almighty, as Christians. We need to be reminded of saying some things that are so very, very important. And so even though these memorials have been visited some up to 6 million times a year, there is a greater memorial that's visited every Sunday and is participated in and it's the Lord's Supper where we take the bread and we take of the fruit of the vine. But today, I want us to think about 1 Corinthians 11th chapter. If you haven't turned there, please be turning there. And I'd like for us to study and odds are we won't finish this. And I'll just be honest with you. Our odds are this lesson, will probably have an abrupt, just stop in the middle and we need to hang on to it and we'll try to finish it next week. We'll see what we can do. I just don't want to rush so much that we miss the importance of several significant points here in 1 Corinthians 11th chapter, but I also don't want us to be sitting here so long that we run into Bible classes and et cetera. And so we'll see what we can do here the first thing that I would like for us to ask this morning is why does it matter how we partake now we can give a lot of very important answers to this question but I want us to see one in the way that this passage summarizes in other words this is what this passage is immediately is, is working toward and we're going to begin here and then back up and go back to the beginning of these couple of paragraphs earlier But I'd like for you to read with me, 1 Corinthians 11th chapter, we'll read verse 29 and 30. And I'd like for you to think about why does it matter? For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment. And that word judgment there is the idea of when you're cursed or when you're punished. And so he says, you eat in an unworthy manner, you're bringing punishment upon yourself. Why? Because you're not discerning the body, the Lord's body. In other words, you're not making a a good judgment decisions and and movements, if you will, in your life and in your mind about the Lord's body. And so notice this strong, clear furtherance of instruction in verse 30. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many asleep. Could it be any more clear? For this reason, we look around and say, there are some, and I know some try to make this into a physical sickness and weakness and, a, and even a physical death. I don't get that. And if that's of your opinion, have your opinion on it. But this has been a spiritual teaching all the way through, and I think he's still talking about our spiritual life and our faith. And I think what he's doing here is he's looking at people and he's saying, Look around. There's some of you that are just hanging by a thread spiritually, you're sick. Some of you are weak, you're you're on the outskirts, if you will, of of an inner and a devoted faith to the Lord. And then some have just thrown up the white flag. I I used to be a Christian, I used to be faithful, but I I just don't really, no, I'm not devoted anymore. I don't really believe anymore, I'm not a believer. I've had a lot of people through the years, I've had the opportunity to sit down and talk with them about their struggles and about either their faith or lack of faith. And I cherish every opportunity to do that because we all struggle from time to time and we all need to share in that with others. And so that's a wonderful thing. But I just want to observe with you, isn't it interesting how clear this is in scripture? And I want to observe with you something that has never been said to me. I have never yet had anyone come to me and say, I am really struggling in my faith right now. And I know the reason, notice verse 30, I know the reason why. For years, I've taken the Lord's Supper and I've thought about everything else except the Lord. I've appreciated everything else in the room except the Lord and his body and his blood that was shed for me. And I realize now that I have become very sick spiritually because of my apathetic approach to the Lord's Supper. Look, let's just be blunt for a moment. Some people's approach isn't just apathetic, some people's approach is pathetic. Texting during the Lord's Supper, checking Facebook during the Lord's Supper, making your list of things you're going to do in the afternoon or for next week during the Lord's Supper, intentionally playing with babies during the Lord's Supper checking out other people what they're wearing or or who's here just like you were sitting in the mall people watching during the lord's supper well i just i just don't know why my faith is weak i i just feel like i ought to be stronger and i don't know why i struggle so much in my faith brethren do we believe the holy writ this is words from god The great physician says, let me tell you why you're sick. Do you go to a physical doctor? Do you believe him when he tells you why you're sick? What if you go to the great physician and do you believe him when he says, I can tell you why you're struggling spiritually? You've missed it. You refuse to submit to it. You refuse to appreciate it. You refuse to indulge spiritually in this wonderful occasion that God gives us of being invited to his table to partake of his supper and to do so in remembrance of me. Really this passage in 1 Corinthians 11 could not be simpler. I'd like for you to see three ways that it is naturally broken down. And the first that we'll spend our time on primarily today is he identifies The problem that the people of Corinth were having. And then second, he offers a really simple solution. He's saying to Corinth, will you listen to this solution? I I can help you with the problem you're having. And isn't that beautiful? You know, what's horrible is when you go to a doctor and he says, there's nothing we can do for you. Wouldn't it have been horrible if if Corinth's problem was revealed and Paul said, I'm sorry, there's nothing that, that can be solved in your spiritual dilemma that you're suffering with but then third is that idea that we're all to learn from corinth we're all then to examine ourselves and and walk away from this better instead of worse and so i i do not want to appear negative you know last week is, is it, it had a, a tone of real positive because we're studying luke 22 and it was so beautiful and positive But 1 Corinthians 11, it's a negative passage. He's literally looking and saying, we as human beings, we are very capable of messing up a really good thing. And so he talks about, this is how you are making mistakes. And and yet it's not to, hey, let's study this negative passage so we can be negative people, but it's say, let's study this and be honest with ourselves, And are there anything that we need to change in our life? Just like he looked at the people of Corinth and he told them very, very straightforward you must change this. You're sick, you're weak and you're gonna die spiritually if you do not change this. And so let's drop back and it's already been capable of read for us. I want, I want you to see this again. We're gonna read it really quick and we're gonna pick up in verse 17. And I want you to know some highlights along the way and we'll come back and talk about these various highlights. And giving these instructions, that's important. We'll look at later on. I do not praise you. There's nothing he can say good about this. Since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. And then this is the first reason why he'll mention it. First of all, when you come together as a church, in other words, that's what we today in our language would say, we're going to church. Have you ever said that and someone says, oh, you don't go to church, you are the church. just next time somebody says that, say, read 1 Corinthians 11. We are the church. But also the way Paul talks about it in Corinth, he also says, we go to church. And it's almost like, if you will, it's a slang way of saying we are the church, but sometimes the church all comes together. And we're all in assembly together. And so we go to where the church is meeting. Now, this building is not the church, but you know who's together right now? Right now, the church is together. The church is right here. And so that's what he's talking about. says, he says, first of all, when you come together as the church, I hear that there are, number one, divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are proved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, that's assembly, when you assemble together, is it not to eat the Lord's Supper? My my bad. Let me come back at that another way. He's making a point here. It is not to eat the Lord's Supper. He's saying you've come together to eat the Lord's Supper. The problem is you've defiled it so much it's not the Lord's Supper anymore. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. One is hungry, another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God? Or shame those that have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. No praise. They were coming together for better, but it wasn't ending up that it was for better. He literally says for worse. Now, I know you know what better and worse means, but I just want to remind you that better is speaking something positive, but it's comparatively. It's not just positive. It is comparatively better. Worse is not just something negative. Comparatively, it's even negative more so than what is being compared to. So what's being compared to? He's comparing them to them. And he's saying, you started out in one spiritual condition. You went to the gathering of the church. And you participated in this what you thought was the Lord's Supper, but you've defiled it so much, it's not really the Lord's Supper. And now you're leaving. And he says, I want to compare you to you. You came thinking, I'm going to leave this time of worship and I'm going to be better spiritually because of this. And he says, instead, you've come to this time of worship and you are leaving worse spiritually than when you came. Can you imagine Jesus standing outside in the parking lot and you walk out after worship today and can you imagine Jesus Christ coming up to you and talking to you about worship? And can you imagine him saying, Do you realize that because of the way you worship this morning, spiritually, you are worse off than when you came? You see, I think we get in our mind sometime in in the 21st century American culture, we get in our mind that, that if we just throw up anything to God in worship, that it's all good. And I have mentioned to you before back a few years ago, that, that I believe that if you could define what a lot of people's concept is about God receiving our worship, that a lot of people have a more of a mindset that God is a beggar and, and he's just got his, his little can out there and he's just saying, give me anything. You know, the, the, the thing about a beggar, you got to appreciate this. If you put a dollar in, they say, thank you very much. If you put a handful of change in, they say, thank you very much. You put a 10 in, they say, thank you very much. You know, a is just anything you give me, anything you offer me, thank you very much. God's not a beggar. God's not saying any way you want to worship me, it's fine. Anything you want to do. Hey, you showed up and, and you chewed on some bread and you swallowed some fruit of the vine. Hey, we're good. You don't really believe that, do we? In other words, the Lord looks at it and says, hey, you've come in the way you have partaken of what should have been the supper. Spiritually now, you're even worse off. Well, let me ask you something. If every time you come and take the supper in a defiled way, in an unworthy manner, and every time you leave a little bit worse than the beginning, what's going to eventually happen to that person? Well, we've already read the end of the story, haven't we? The end of the story is, he says, some of you are sick, some of you are weak, and some of you are dying. In other words, you keep doing it week after week after week. You cannot be a person of spiritual life and spiritual strength. It will eventually wear us down. Well, why did it happen? Notice he gave two reasons there in verse 18 and in verse 19. The first one in 18, he says there are divisions among you. And the word division means literally a, rent, a gap or a split. If you have one object and in that object, there's a split or there is a, a gap in it, immediately it loses its integrity. It loses its strength. And you say, whoa, there's something wrong there. Well, what about the one body of Christ? The one body of Christ was never designed for us to come in and rip it, to split it, to divide it. And anytime we do something that divides the body of Christ, there's something wrong there. Can you imagine the Lord's supper being the point in time that the Lord's body is being divided? That was the huge problem that was taking place in the manner in which they were taking the supper. They literally were not physically united They were not in heart and love united as they took the Lord's Supper. There was a division among them. And then the next word that he uses there in 19, he says there's factions among you. The the Greek word for that is also translated, that very same word is translated heresies over in Galatians, the fifth chapter in verse 20, when the fruit or the works of the flesh are listed there, where later on the fruit of the spirit is listed. And so heresy is, is a work of the flesh. Not only is it doing something that is wrong, following a, a false way, but what's interesting about the word heresies is that it also in its root has a very strong connotation of choice. Okay, I, I'm following this false way and I've chosen it. I have chosen this false way. And so now Paul takes this division And he puts some blame on it. And he says, listen, I know there's division among you. And I know some of you have chosen to live this way. I know some of you have made the decision that this is what you're going to do. And of course, he's calling them out of how wrong it is. So they have made a decision that is faulty and that it's wrong. So what's the result of that? Well, when we look back in 20 and then going down in 21, the the result was there was no supper. In other words, he said, I can't praise you in this. The reason I can't praise you is you've missed the mark so much. You've come together to take the Lord's Supper, and it's not even the Lord's Supper at all. Well, how did they miss the mark so much? Look again as, as we look back at, at 20 and, uh, and, and 21 there. Notice how he says in 24, in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. One is hungry, another is drunk. You see the point, probably what is happening here, what we think of when we think of a potluck, where we say, we're going to designate a location and everybody brings something and and we're gonna take what each of us brings and we're gonna put it together, if you will, on a table. And then we're all gonna go through and we're gonna share what we bring with everybody. The love feast that took place back and and were very strong, if you will, in the first century. It was in one sense, that connotation, but the love feast would oftentimes be provided primarily by the wealthier or those that had plenty among the Lord's church. And they didn't necessarily happen just on Sunday. They would set times to say, we're gonna have a love feast and those of us that have plenty are gonna bring plenty and everybody in the church is gonna to come together and we're gonna share. Now, what they call it? A love feast. What was the idea? The idea of a love feast is, we love you so much that we're gonna provide and we're gonna ask even those that do not have much, we're gonna ask everybody to come together and we're gonna share in this feast that the motive of this feast is love. Now look what's happening here. Some have said 1 Corinthians 11 was a love feast, but the problem was those that had didn't love those that didn't have. And they literally, in in a sense, were segregated not only by location, but apparently even by time. Some that had more came earlier. They all gathered together and they ate of their own supper. In other words, we brought plenty and we're going to eat our own. And, and even says, some left hungry. That's the ones that didn't have much. And these didn't wait on them. So they didn't wait on them. They left hungry. Some left drunk. In other words, they had excess. And here some left without anything. I don't know if this is a good place and a good time to interrupt this, but let me go ahead and and throw this out for your thinking. It is amazing the things people come up with when they spend their time reading secular documents from the first and second century instead of reading the word of God. It's amazing what people come up with whenever they read what PhDs write instead of what apostles write. There's been a strong argument for the last 10 or 15 years that if we're really going to partake of a meaningful Lord's Supper, that it needs to be more like a common meal that we share together and the words love feast is oftentimes thrown out. And they'll say, well, you know that that the way the Lord designated the Lord's Supper is that it was a love feast and they all sat around and they ate a meal and then at a certain time in the meal they would stand up and the one presiding would take the bread and he would bless it and he'd pass it and and they would just sit around and they would talk about the body of Christ as they ate the bread and then later on in the meal the the one presiding would then take the cup and he would bless it and he would distribute it and and they would talk about the blood that was sacrificed for Jesus and if we were really going to do it like the first century that's the way it needs to be." done. Really? Can you give me a word from God on that? Just show me one place in Scripture. Just one. Can you give me a book, chapter, or verse? Oh, oh, but I know they were doing it that way in the first century. You know what? To some degree, I know that too. Have you ever read 1 Corinthians 11? They were doing it that way. And next week, we're gonna study the correction that was given to them. I love Everett Ferguson's writing on this and very intelligent man. And he says, my assumption is that even though that was commonplace, by the time Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 11, That was probably the time that the church made an about face and broke away any kind of love feast from the Lord's Supper. And from that time, the faithful ones were taking the supper as Jesus taught it and not as others had been practicing it. You know that 1 Corinthians 11 was written before any of the Gospels. So it's significant when you think about what was the first writings that Christians could hold and read and say, we wanna know more about the Lord's Supper. First Corinthians 11 was the first. Is it interesting that Luke being the detailed writer he is, it's no surprise that he would spend some time giving us the background briefly of the Passover and the partaking of the Lord's Supper because he's a thorough writer but remember the gospels were written after this isn't it noteworthy that matthew and mark's account does not tie the lord's supper even with the passover meal it was almost as if later this writing came about and it was almost as if god was saying We don't need to confuse people so that they think that that we've gotta have this Passover meal setting and that's the way the Lord's Supper is to be taken. And Paul, even before the writing of the gospel, Paul said, I can address it. We can look at what's happening, we can see the wrong in it, and we can tell the solution the way that it ought to be done. And so we close this morning with his rhetorical questions. He didn't have praise because they really didn't have the Lord's Supper taking place. But he said, what you do have is you have shame taking place. And when you look in 22, he asked questions like, you have a house, to eat not drink. In other words, if you, and he's speaking especially here to the wealthy people. He's saying, if you came together and all you're gonna do is eat your food and you're not gonna share with anybody else he said, why don't you just stay at home? Don't you have a house that you can sit at home and eat your food and not share with anybody else? What is this time period for right here? You remember Hebrews 10, 25? A lot of people remember that one real quickly. Not forsake the similar yourselves together. You know, that's not the beginning of that sentence. Go back one verse earlier. Why are we here? One verse earlier, we're here to consider one another. Since you've been here this morning, who have you considered, considered to do what? We need to consider one another to stir up one another to love and good works. Therefore, do not forsake the assembly of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Why are we here according to the Lord? According to the Lord, we're here because we want to stir each other up in love. We want everybody that leaves here this morning to know that the Lord's church loves them. We're to stir up one another, love and good works. Who have you seen this morning? You're thinking, I need to talk with them. I need to encourage them. I need to reach out to them. I need to help them. Who is it that you just want to say hello because you love them? Who is it that you want to say, hey, I'm involved in this ministry this week and I want you to come work with me in this ministry. You want to stir up love and good works. Now, if you say, well, I haven't done any of that this morning. I want to give you the same question for the same principle. Why didn't you just stay at home this morning then? If you're not here to help encourage the church, don't you have a house that you can stay in and not encourage the church? That's the way he's using this about the Lord's Supper. He says, you're coming together and you're just feasting on this meal for personal gain and you don't care about the others. Don't you have a house you can do that in? And then that's where he brings out this rhetorical question. Sounds like to me, you despise the church. You don't really love God's people. Sounds like to me, you shame the poor. Somebody doesn't have anything. What you like to do is keep showing that you got it and they don't. 1 John 3, 16 and 17 makes it very clear that God's people, if one does not have need, that the ones that has the resources shares with those that are in need. And he says, I just can't praise you in what you're doing there. Next week, we're going to look at a simple solution to this. This morning, I hope that all of us are willing to honestly examine ourselves. This isn't a time for us to examine each other. I hope you're examining yourself, and I hope that you're well spiritually, and I hope that the way we are partaking of the Lord's Supper leaves us better each week than when we come in other words we're just growing stronger and stronger i hope we see the need to always be reaching out and encouraging each other this morning is there anything that we can do to encourage you is there anything we can reach out to to express our love for you and to help you take a step closer to god so we truly could leave here better than when we come if you're ready this morning to be immersed in christ for the remission of your sins If you're ready this morning to be restored,